There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Castle, gentle and infinitely patient people whose lives have been a hope chest with a rusty lock and a lost set of keys. But in just a moment, that hope chest will be opened and an improbable phantom will try to bedeck the drabness of these two people's failure-laden lives with the gold and precious stones of fulfillment. Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Castle, standing on the outskirts and about to enter the Twilight Zone. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today joined by... 80Z, back in the fifth dimension. Yep. Once again. Um, We are on episode two of season two, The Man in the Bottle. Um, Wait, 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 wait. Before we... I wanted to say something. (laughs) I didn't mean to interrupt, but we should give full transparency here. All right? I'll just go ahead and describe disclose this early so the episode before this the king nine will not return is was actually recorded about a year ago so we have been on what would we say about a year almost a year to the date hiatus but we're back now we've had uh surgeries life events all kinds of things and we've kind of um put this podcast uh, under the rug somewhere in the corner we've brought it back out and uh, now we're back uh, well that's because some of us were too busy going to myrtle beach and and vacations and all that that's yeah we uh we had some interruptions but glad just in full transparency i'm glad we're we're back and doing this again and so the first episode might be a little rough around the edges but hopefully we can get it iron back out but uh this is just a a fun time that we both enjoy and uh, we we love this series and and uh yeah just glad to be doing it again it's a lot of fun well now that eric's ruined the podcast magic uh giving you the behind the scenes of (laughs) what not to do we're back for season two episode two right we should have we should have recorded the whole series the whole second season and then dropped them now we we, we had plenty of time to do that but uh, apparently we're too lazy so i'm glad to be Uh, back in doing it again well speaking of lazy um Season two is not starting off with a very good bang for the Twilight Zone. After uh, that tremendous uh, first season, um, we are coming out of the gates kind of slow, tripping over our own legs. Uh, personally, I think um, I was expecting a lot more from Rod Serling at this point. I'm sure the studios were too. Um, so, but before we get too far into that, let's go ahead and yeah, take it off. Take back it away. There. So we get take it away. All right. This is uh, Man in the Bottle. This is the Twilight Zone Season 2, Episode Number 2. It was directed by a man named Don Medford, and it was, uh, of course, written by Rod Serling. Um, Got featured music here by What You Need by Nathan Cleave. 
The original air date was October the 7th. What is today? October for all those people 12, out there? It's 12th. October 12th. So pretty close um, to the date that we are currently at. So this was October 7th, 1960. The original production cost for this episode was $45,462. And as always, we kind of adjust this for inflation. Um, so in today's dollars, actually this is 2021 probably, so it was an 841% uh, increase. So adjusted for today's dollars would be $428,205.96. And on that note, Jimbo, have you seen the new... Um, Lord of the Rings, a series that's coming out, or have you heard about it? Yes, I've have actually. Is it out? Is episode, it actually out, out yet? It's on Amazon okay. Prime. They release them every Friday. Um, okay. I think, uh, they're on six or seven episodes. I'm only up to like four or five because of okay. the uh, sad situation that happened with my TV and the mouse running up at it and destroying my 65 inch <laughs> TV. We won't talk about that. I'm a little bitter, no. but until I can get it. No, one. we won't. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be too sad. So just on the note of inflation, I, I heard a figure, I, I can't, I didn't fact check this, but apparently that series cost $700 million to produce. That's how much money um, was put into that series. And I want to say it was each, ep- I think these are like seven or eight episodes. It's like $100 million per episode to well, produce I heard that. Well, I heard it was a billion dollars. That okay. basically Amazon Prime put everything, all their eggs into this, making sure that it would. It, it's basically going to secure their future, right? Uh, by how well because they put so much money into it, it's either going to make them or it's going to just right. break them. So. Yeah, that is a staggering figure when you're looking at even this. I mean, four hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars adjusted for inflation for this episode is a measly drop in the bucket compared to what they're spending now. So. I mean, that that was just a little side note there. But, Jimbo, do you want to go ahead and take the cast? Sure. Uh, so, uh, starting off, um, probably the main actor in this is Mr. Arthur Castle. He's played by Luther Adler. Uh, you may recognize him from some uh, the movie DOA or Desert Fox. Um, a little side note I'll throw in here is that he also plays Adolf Hitler in this um, and he has previously played Adolf Hitler in two other movies, so it was not very far, uh, st- a far stretch for him to play Adolf Hitler in this. Uh, then you had Vivi Janis. Uh, she played his wife, Edna Castle. Um, she's probably one of the best known for the Phantom from 10,000 Leagues. And then you had Lisa Golm as Mrs. Gumley. Um, she was in the movie The Hoodlum. Then you had Joseph Ruskin as the Genie. Um, he was in Star Trek Insurrection. He was in The Scorpion King. Uh, many other things uh, credited to him, too. And last but not least, we have Olin Sol, who played the IRS agent. Uh, he was probably one of the most remembered for his works in The Adventures of Batman, where he did play ba- the voice of Batman and Bruce Wayne in the animated series. And he was also in Battlestar Galactica, where he played Carmichael. So there is your cast. For and he, the man uh, in the bottle. I know your favorite show. We just talked about that, but he actually played John Masters too in the long-running Andy Griffith television show. <laughs> so I had to throw that in there. You had to throw that in, did you? Yeah. Um, so again, um, technical specs: the the runtime's twenty-five minutes. Mono Westrex recording systems. It's a black and white, uh, thirty-five millimeter 
negative format and the cinemagraphic process is spherical. Um, that's all staying the same for the, well, for most of the episodes, we'll, we'll get into that little drama maybe later in this, that turns out the, the, basically the CBS wanted to save money. And so that becomes greatly apparent as we move along in season two, but let's move along with the plot. Uh, the plot of this episode, Arthur and Edna Castle run a small antique shop, but business is not good. and They're having trouble paying their bills. Despite that, the good-hearted Arthur buys an old wine bottle from the desperate Mrs. Gumley for a dollar. When he knocks the bottle open, a genie appears offering them four wishes. They soon find that their wishes don't lead them to the outcomes that they had hoped for and certainly don't lead to happiness. So uh, we'll just go ahead and launch into the episode here while we got everything queued up. Was there anything that stuck out to you, like in the initial scenes or anything that that you thought was cool? Um, I think that Arthur, you can tell, he, he has a heart for people. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And his his wife's more business-oriented, you know what I mean? Sure. Because he's like, Arthur, because he's, he's tried to hide the cash register where he gave, what was it, a dollar or something to the lady or two dollars yeah. for that bottle. And... Uh, She's like, Arthur, you know, because they're going over the bills. They're like, here's the electricity. Here's this. Here's this. And they just yeah. don't have the money to pay for anything. But yet he still finds it in his heart to buy that bottle from the lady. Um, yeah. Something else that popped into my mind um, as you were talking. Um, why do you think um, that in this episode they were granted four wishes? Usually when you hear of a genie in a bottle, you're only granted three wishes. And one of them being, you know, you can't uh, wish for more wishes. Yeah. How do you think it was four instead of three? You know, I thought about that as well. I don't know if that's just they're just trying to make a distinction between this episode and maybe, and we have that in our trivia, some other books that were written by uh, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a book, and then I think there was another uh, yeah, 1901, yeah, 1901 short story. But traditionally, yeah, ever since like I was a kid, the lore of the genie in the bottle was always... Three wishes, right? Mm-hmm. And so this one, yeah, has a distinct um, difference that it's four wishes. Um, I think I had written something down that I had read in one of the uh, Twilight Zone books that uh, Rod Serling wanted to make a distinction. He had a reason behind it. I don't remember what the reason was, but yeah, that did stick out to me as well, that there was four wishes rather than three. Um, definitely... Uh, I thought Mrs. Gumley, uh, the 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 lady here, um, she doesn't have very many credits. What was her name again? I have to flip back and see. Uh, Lisa Golm. Lisa Golm. She did a great job as the little old lady. I don't know that she had very many credits, uh, but I thought she played a really good small small little part. But exactly, Arthur is somebody who has a heart for people. He, you know, that could have been his last dollar in a cash register. He's got this stack of bills. He, he's trying to figure out which one he's going to pay and which one he's not going to pay. And, you know, you can kind of feel the weight. In the early scenes, you can kind of feel the weight of this antique shop is coming down on him. He, he describes it as like my, it, it broke down my grandfather and my father. And it, it was something that was probably like a lot of family businesses probably thrust onto him and passed down. And he, he's trying to scratch out a living doing this. And he is just not having any success at all. And all of the weight of that is sort of settling down on him. But he cannot turn this lady away. You know, he he has to help 
uh, her out and not only her, but uh, we can go ahead and skip ahead in the episode. Well, but did you, I don't did you, skip did you get, ahead too far. Did you get the feeling that he's helped this lady out before? Because he's like, look, I, I can't give you much today. You know I mean? I think it's, I think she might be like a returning customer that j- always tries to come in there and just get a little something extra for, you know, sure. Yeah, I think so. I was listening to a, so another podcast related to this episode, and the host kind of tried to describe it like this old lady was getting over on him, or she was using him, and abu- and it's like, no, I don't really see it that way. Like, I think he knows that, you know, that she's somehow the old lady is somehow deceiving him, and that he's a sucker, and that you know, I don't see it that way. I think he was just he was just a giving, generous guy, and. He knew that that lady had needs, and he was just trying to help her and support her in any way he could. It wasn't like he was being deceived or taken advantage of. You know, I, I didn't agree with that assessment of it. But right, but it's also um, if he's struggling with and he has a business, this lady she almost looks homeless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he's just trying to get her a hot meal or something, and he knows that she's one of the regulars that comes in and tries to pedal. She bring she might have brought him some treasures in the past that he sold for a lot of money. You know, yeah. where he didn't give her enough, but now he feels bad, like, hey, I can still help her out. You know what I mean? Right. Well, so she leaves this bottle, and it's on the on the counter here, and uh, Arthur and Edna kind of are talking in the next couple of scenes, and then, if, in the interest of time, we can move along to, um, the bottle falls onto the ground, is that right? And then Jeannie, played by, what was his name? Joseph Ruskin, who has many many television credits i mean jimbo talked about him a little bit but i mean this guy in the 80s he played on almost every tv show what did you think about the 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 effect i guess of the smoke coming out of the bottle you know obviously back then well i always think of like aladdin and stuff and then that you sh- it shows the genie coming out of the bottle well obviously they couldn't do that for the time and place that we we're in but the smoke kind of rises and then the camera pans out and then we go to the genie sitting. I think he's like sitting on the steps. Oh, this is Rod here. He's giving his uh, introduction and uh, narration at the beginning of the episode. But I think we don't see the genie coming out of the bottle, but we see him like sitting on the steps uh, after after we come back. I thought that was an interesting way to do it. Like I said, I think the genie by far, Joseph Ruskin is by far, I mean... Well, I guess he does kind of sort of appear out of the smoke. Uh, but, you know, we don't actually see him coming out of the bottle, but we do see him sort of appear out of the smoke. Did you think the genie played a pretty good part or it was okay? Yeah, nothing to write home about. I mean, yeah. he's not going to get a tragedy from me at the end of the year for being a best <laughs> performance or anything. You no know best I mean? performance just, tragedy? Like I said... the. After watching the, the doing the King Nine will not return. I watched it again, and then yeah. coming into this one, you know, you don't really have high hopes. It's just, it's better than the first episode of this yeah. season, but it's not, it's not groundbreaking like let's say Mirror Image or um, some of those other ones uh, from the first season. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think he tried a little too hard. Yeah, uh, I just enjoyed again, it could, his. It could, have been, uh, it could have been CBS sorry. cracking down on him too. You know what I mean? I enjoyed his. I thought his maniacal laugh was was great. Uh, you know when when they make their choices and then and then also the exchange like uh, we're gonna get to it in a well here in a second. But 
when they're when they're having their exchange and Arthur sort of tries to accuse the genie of tricking him into, you know, oh, you're setting all this up so that I'll fail and you're tricking me and, and they get into that and, and the genie sort of takes offense that, no, these are, you know, results. These are the consequences of your decision. You know, every decision has consequences. How dare you accuse me of, you know, setting this up um, against you or whatever. I thought that was a cool little exchange. Um, well, I also I also like that the genie tells him, look, he's like, just remember, every wish has a consequence. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he warned him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just remember, if you're ever in a situation where a genie comes to you, make sure you're very specific about your <laughs> wish, okay? Yeah, right. If it ever happens. So um, we get to our first wish. That brings us to our first wish, which is uh, the glass case is cracked. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the test wish, right? And uh, – so we get to that, and you know, Arthur and Edna are—they're skeptical, obviously. And then, but they—they they come to the decision. They—they they do something simple, and then the cool little visual effect here in the Twilight Zone. The genie points to the glass case, and then obviously you can see that. I don't know exactly how they did this cinematographic detail here, but you know, it's pretty rudimentary. For that time that's what that's what makes it endearing to me you know it's not like this big right. huge cgi production it's just like one frame with the broken glass and then the one frame with the clear glass you know it's pretty right cool. next like right it. yeah yeah um so that's their first wish so now um you know they're starting to change their tune a little bit they start getting happy and he goes to Edna. He's like, what do, what do we want? What do we want? And they're trying to decide what do we want. And Edna's, well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, He's like, money. We need yeah. money. <laughs> so that's number two. Wish number two is, you know, the big buck. So they ask for a million dollars. And they're overjoyed. And all this money starts, like, it starts falling from the ceiling, right? And uh, so, uh, but... And then I think that we go to a commercial break here, maybe. I'm, I'm, yeah, and you and come back and he said he it on the floor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Jimbo, he starts handing it out to all the people in the neighborhood and start coming in, which goes back to that point again of this guy's a generous guy. Even when he's got a dollar or if he's got a million dollars, you know, he's very generous. Um, anything else stick out to you in this in this section? Like, uh, uh, no, it's just, you know, um, everybody's just happy to see him and, and, you know, oh yeah, they're happy. And is, is that where, is, is that where, um, is Mrs. Gumley come back in? Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone from the neighborhood, you know, he, he Arthur's like, eh, take this and pay off your mortgage. And, and Mrs. Gumley is one of the recipients in line and, you know, uh, he gives her a big stack of cash and everyone's happy and everything's going great. And uh, in walks the IRS man, unsolicited. You know, he comes in and uh, he starts uh, bringing them down, so to speak. <laughs> he, he comes in and he uh, levels them with the news that uh, they owe 907 million dollars out of their million dollars in taxes which is more than a 90 percent rate and i had to actually go and look this up 
because I was like, 90%? Was this just for the show? Like, did they just jack up the tax amount to drive the story? But no, if you go back to 1960, um, yeah, that, like it was, when you were in that tax bracket, it was about 90%. And it didn't, uh, I have it written down here in my notes. Uh, apparently this was accurate number and the federal income tax rates did not fall until around to around 70% until the 1970s. So, uh, there was a change in our tax code around 1970 and it's sort of, you know, uh, I don't know what you call that. Uh, there's a word for it, but, um, it sort of is what it is today. But I mean, back then, so, I mean, I just can't imagine paying $907,000, but I guess you got to realize that you still had close to uh, $100,000 left after you paid taxes. And when you extrapolate $100,000 out to today's dollars, I mean, you'd still have close to like a million bucks, right? For 1960, when you think about it. Yeah, but, but I guess I guess uh, what I was thinking is when uh, the tax man comes, I didn't think it was 90% taxed. I thought it was only like the 10% tax because... They didn't have enough. They they said they gave close away to what thirty two thousand dollars. I thought, or something. I like think that. it was closer to fifty. So and then they were you know excited that they were going to be able to go to Europe. Me, you better hurry up. You know, send me the bill. Me and my wife are going to go to Europe. But no, like literally almost all of their earnings, and it, it checks out. I I did the research, but just to get an idea. I wrote down some figures from 1960, like as far as things go, what things cost. So a house was, the average house was twelve thousand seven hundred dollars. You know, in 1960. I'll take two, Alex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gas was twenty five cents a gallon. Uh, a brand new car was twenty six hundred, and a movie ticket was a dollar, and a loaf of bread was twenty cents. So when you think, all right, they got a hundred thousand dollars left over at those prices, yeah, they could. They're okay. They'd be doing okay. Yeah. But the problem was, as you just talked about, Jimbo, earlier, they had given away whatever it was, thirty. you said 30000 I think it was maybe 50000 or whatever. They had given away that much money already. So, you know, that's where their problem is. So they come back, and Arthur is just dismayed because they put all their tax money in a big box and they have like five dollars left after they pay all yeah. their taxes and stuff. So <laughs> hey, it's like, welcome man. to what we feel like today. <laughs> yeah, so we started right back where we're right back where we started from. So then the genie pops up and he's on the stairs and he's got his cigarette and he's like, "Are you ready for wish number three? So, Jimbo, this and is I, th where th I think I th I think he warns him again. He's like, "I told you, every wish has consequences." And right. So that's where. That's where he's like, they're trying to come up with a plan of to basically fool the genie, you know, like a foolproof plan because I want to be, exactly. you know, the leader of the country or president, whatever he says. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, I want to be a leader of a foreign country and I can't be voted out of office. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> so very, he's trying to get very back. detailed. Yeah, this time, right. which <laughs> didn't work out either, <laughs> which I thought that was, I thought that was. The, the corniest line, like, I guess, like, I'm Hitler, it's after the war. Yeah. Because <laughs> he like, wakes up yeah. after he says he wishes, and he's like, okay. So you, you hear bombs going off and everything, and you see him look up from the desk, and that's what 
He's got the yeah. shock of his face. Like that guy comes in with that little, I guess it's poison. You know, he's like, yeah, they're at the door. You know, <laughs> right. Which I don't know that they needed to state that in the lines. Like I'm Hitler. It's after the war. Like people would have probably been able to, the viewers would have been able to figure that out, uh, you know, just by watching. But, you know, yeah, I thought that was kind of a corny line, but, um, so after that wish is completed, then obviously the fourth wish is to, bringing back he wants his old life back i think he says i think he actually wishes that while he's in hitler while he's in his office yeah remember yeah he's like i want to be arthur castle again i don't remember exactly what the line line is but uh yeah he he comes back and you know this is sort of the closing scene when he's back to being his old self and he has his old life the one that he you know wished away the one that he was struggling with um and then the episode closes with i think wasn't there like a line like uh, well it wasn't a total loss like at least we got a good display case and a new window or yeah yeah and then he hits the (laughs) with the broom (laughs) broom handle (laughs) yeah the broom handle yeah um so do you want to jump into some trivia about um uh, yeah, we can, but I just want to uh, reiterate that when he came back to his normal lifestyle, him and his real life realize, uh, him and his wife realize, you know, life ain't that bad how how we have it. Yeah, uh, we can make it work. You know what I mean? So we don't need all yep. this other stuff to be happy. So I thought that was yep. very interesting. So um, one thing you notice back that when he was Hitler, that the uh, Nazi symbol on the flag is actually reversed. However, the symbol on Arthur Castle's sleeve is correct, as Adolf Hitler used it as an S uh, as an SS. So there's that. Um, like I said, he played Adolf Hitler in two movies before. Uh, one was The Magic Face, um, and the other is The Desert Fox, the story of Rommel. And the very interesting thing about uh, Luther Adler is he's actually Jewish. You're so right. Yeah. he's a Jew playing Hitler. I thought that yeah. was very uh, interesting. Yeah. And then just just on that note, Jimbo, like uh, you you had mentioned this earlier that he he was Jewish and he had previously played Adolf Hitler in two movies, and those movies were The Magic Face and The Desert Fox. Um, actually, three. I have a third one here. The, actually, no, that is the second movie is called The Desert Fox: The Story of Rommel. Whatever. I haven't seen either one of those movies, but it's interesting that he was Jewish and he sort of got typecast playing. Adolf Hitler, Hitler. not only this Twilight Zone, but those other two movies. Right. Um, You know, the genie is actually also, that Joseph Ruskin's, he's actually in another Twilight Zone episode coming up in season three. Uh, He's actually plays the voiceover of the Kanamit alien in the episode To Serve Man. So you will see Joseph Ruskin again. In season three, if Eric doesn't take a two-year hiatus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that won't happen. Yeah. Um, I have a, another piece of trivia here written down. It says, on July 19th, Sterling composed an alternate ending to this episode in which a nondescript street bum happens upon the garbage can containing the remains of the once broken glass bottle, which has magically repaired itself. He takes out the bottle, stares at it, and then sticks it under his shirt. As the street bum starts to walk away, Serling's voice closes the episode, and perhaps this man, too, will realize that there's an economics to magic, too. Rather, a high cost of wishing. He may learn this fact, just as he'll soon realize that in a very strange way all roads lead 
to the Twilight Zone. So I thought that was kind of a cool little alternate ending that he had thrown it, in there. But It did have a cool ending when uh, he takes the, the genie bottle out because it had broken. And they sweep it up and he throws it in the, the uh, trash can outside. And then you mm-hmm. see it come back together. I thought that was really well done, too. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, also, although Mr. and Mrs. Castle are given four wishes, as we were talking about earlier by the genie in this episode, it is clearly based on an old fable retold in many, many variations that usually involves the ironic result of three wishes given to two characters. One of the two characters usually wastes the first wish, and in a moment of anger, the other wishes for something that is immediately regretted. Then the third wish must be used to return things to some semblance of where they started out, exhausting the wishes for absolutely no gain. One well-known version of this plot is found in W.W. Jacobs' 1902 short story titled The Monkey's Paw. Have you read The Monkey's Paw, Eric? I have not. I mean, just in studying this, I learned of the the story, but I've never read read, uh, either one of those. Right. All right, so what do you think? What's your your (sighs) questions, observations, overall takes? You go first, and then I'll go. Um... I thought Arthur Castle did very good, uh, Luther Adler. I thought he played a very, very convincing role as a shopkeeper. Um, and I think he's he has a genuine heart. But then again, you see that when he gets money, he changes. When he gets power, he changes. So money and power uh, always changes people. Um, and not necessarily for the better either. Um, but I think he was generally a good man. And at the end, he realized, I had everything I needed you know, uh, money doesn't solve all your issues. Power doesn't solve all your issues. You know, you just got to stick together and work through it. Um, I thought Vivia Janice did a really good job. She was kind of like uh, the glue that held the family together, if you will, uh, making sure the bills got paid so the husband doesn't overspend. Uh, you can ask my wife. That's pro- pretty much how it goes around here. You know, mm-hmm. I like to spend. Uh, she's more uh, level-headed and, and uh, you know, centered on the finances. I'm more of the fun guy. Let's have fun. Um Mrs. Gumley was okay. Uh, the genie. It kind of reminds me of um, if you remember the episode uh, in season one where uh, the devil came to the the salesman, the greatest pitch mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of kind of reminded me of him a little bit um, yep. because uh, the most evil people in the Twilight Zone usually look the normalist. Uh, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of where my mind went with his role in this. And then, of course, the IRS agent. Nobody likes an IRS agent, so I can't really say I like him either. Um, (laughs) But it's just—it was just—it was just okay to me. It it wasn't. um, It was better than King Nine Will Not Return. But to me, it's just—it's just an average episode that uh, it's not going to win any accolades for me. Yeah. And and right now, um, as we're going through this, since it's been so long, and I'm rewatching these. You 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 stated uh, way back, uh, probably a year ago, that. Season well, two was the worst. Here we go. Season two was the worst of all time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I know you've changed your mind since because yeah. you got further into season two, and now you're like, oh, it may be the best season of all. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, just if you're listening or uh, watching these along with us, or if you're listening to these, just re- realize it will get better, and it gets really good. It, it's about uh, to get really good. Yeah. So and, and, and coming up here, I think it's episode six. It's probably one of my favorite all-time episodes, yeah. uh, The Eye of the Beholder. So um, just hang with us. Um, I promise you it will get better. If you if you if you started with season two and you've watched these first two episodes, three doesn't get much better. I'm going to just go ahead and lay that out there right now either. Uh, it may be worse than the first one. But um, just stick with us. I'm sure it will get better. So, Eric, what do you think of this episode? 
Yeah, I would echo some of those sentiments. My questions and observation, my observation, this is just a little observation that I picked up when Arthur Castle says early in the episode, I wish, right as Mrs. Gumley walks in the door, a bell rings. So that mm-hmm. was kind of, I wish, you know, equating that with the bell. I just sort of summarize it like this. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. So um, that's kind of my quick summary. Uh, Obviously, we talked about Arthur Castle being a kind-hearted, generous man. Uh, He gives, even if it comes at great cost to him personally. Again, I would echo that it's, it's, I think, what a lot of Twilight Zone viewers call like a palate cleanser. (laughs) <laughs> which a palate cleanser has the idea that something better is coming after it or before it. Uh, what they call it a palate cleanser episode, but that's not the case. These first three episodes, um, I will just echo again. They're, they're not going to be the greatest, but I'm telling you back to back to back. There's like, you know, several episodes in a row that are stellar. I mean, they're the, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I haven't completed all, five seasons but i don't know that there is a run of that many episodes in a row that are that good that you know these next few are going to provide but um yeah i just i think it's a, a palate cleanser it's got i the only thing that really saves it is it, uh, like the next episode too is it's got a great moral you know it's got a good moral to it and i think that's what makes it uh, play so well for me you know just um don't think that you know, you can wish all these things into your life, uh, just on a personal level or, uh, whatever that, uh, life is going to be better. You know, a lot of times we do that. We, we play things up in our mind and we think things are going to be, my life would be so much better if dot, dot, dot. And then, you know, we, we wish in our minds for those things. We don't actually have a genie, but we wish those things in our mind. And a lot of times we get those things sometimes in our life and they turn out to not be good at all for us. So, that's that's my uh, observation of the episode, and I think we can shut her down at this point. <laughs> All right. If you like what you heard, uh, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, if you'd like to follow us and more uh, postings on the Tragedy of Cinema uh, Facebook group, Eric posts a lot of stuff on there. I post a lot of stuff on there, uh, good times. Um, so with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. A word to the wise now, to the garbage collectors of the world, to the curio seekers, to the antique buffs, to everyone who would try to coax out a miracle from unlikely places. Check that bottle you're taking back for a two-cent deposit. The genie you save might be your own. Case in point, Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Castle, fresh from the briefest of trips into the Twilight Zone.